You're listening to the Homegrown Faith Podcast. I'm Joe Clark, and I'm chatting with my fellow pastor and friend, Richard Sweatman, about God, the Bible, and life lived growing our faith in Jesus. This podcast is coming to you from Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Good afternoon, Joe Clark. It's so nice to talk to you again. Yes, and you on this very festive Olympic, second week of the Olympics. So exciting, <laughs> right. Richard. So exciting. <laughs> That's right. This is a point of interest for both of us. Um, you go yeah. first, Joe. Tell me your Olympic experience, your Olympic stories. Okay. How's it going for well, you? Well, I've okay. I very definitely have stayed away from the Olympics a lot because once you start, you get you can go in deep, really, really <laughs> deep. Um, so I've been watching the news, basically keeping a track of what's been going on. But there yep. was one thing I just had to watch, which was the mixed medley relay for swimming. Oh, and it yes. was I... <laughs> so good. Did you watch it? I saw that as well, just by chance, not through any planning. But yeah. um, I was captivated. Tell yes. me what you thought. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I was raised in Queensland. So, of course, I have always had a deep affinity for swimming and the Olympics. I can remember when Kieran Perkins won, watching it in class and then watching him again when he tried again the next four years. So we, we would watch yeah. swimming instead of doing class because that was how important swimming was for everyone in mm. my school. Um, and so I just love watching swimming. But this was crazy. The two men and two women flying four uh, swimming four different disciplines and there was this big question mark of do you, do you, which ones do you put the men swimming, which ones do you put the women swimming, mm. and how do you tell who's winning? Because if you've had two women swim first and two men, men swim first in another team, one team will look well ahead, but actually you're waiting for these other um, team members to come up. And if someone is in their strength discipline, they're probably going to be faster than a woman in their strength might be as fast or faster than a man in, if it's not his strength. And so it was just mm. this incredible who is going to win this. And it was just so exciting because it was the first time it had ever been swum at the Olympics in terms of it was the first time a gold medal had ever been awarded in this race. And I loved it. Uh, Great Britain ended up winning and Australia came third, which I was excited by. But it just was yeah. fun. It was cra- It was just you couldn't tell who was going to win and how they were going to win it. And it, no, the, I love that. The winner, were, the winner was changing every lap. Um, yeah. It re- actually reminded me of, you know, backyard swimming where you just race your friends and <laughs> you, like, just make up rules so someone yeah. will get a handicap or someone yeah. will have to swing butterfly versus freestyle it just had that random um backyard pool atmosphere to it yeah and someone made it one of the commentators made an interesting comment which was if you're in the wash of someone who's doing a particular swim of one kind Mm. and you're doing a different stroke or or you're just a smaller body if you're swimming Mm. in the wash of a man and you're a woman how Mm. different that would be as a swimming (laughs) moment and i thought oh of course it would just be so strange and i love that yeah, oh, the pool was just so choppy. It was all over the place. It was yeah. all it was it was mayhem in an organised fashion. <laughs> uh, hats off to the Japanese for running an excellent Olympics for the swimming. It was it looked good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? What have you been getting into? I think for me, my approach with swimming, not with swimming, the Olympics is actually I'm I'm not terribly interested in mainstream kind of events like oh. swimming and stuff. I know that's sort of mm. a bit heretical to say, but I've been just. <laughs> fascinated to i've had this i've got the app for the for the channel on my on a tablet oh. and uh, i've just been exploring weird sports that i don't know anything about so and 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 just enjoying that so like the uh, i watched 
a little mini version of the Japanese street skating, which was just hilarious. The uh, the athletes, some of them are only 13 years old. The gold medal winner, Momiji Nishiya from Japan, was only 13 years old, and she won this hectic Whoa. street skating event where they're going down rails and over jumps and everything. Um so let me just clarify, when you say street, street skating, do you mean like roller skates or a skateboard? Oh, a skateboard. They're like they set up this artificial park with ramps and steps and everything. Cool. Um, so just dropping into that for 15 minutes, that was great. I, oh, I like into your the... use of dropping in there because I do believe oh. you're dropping on the skateboard, right? Are you taking the lingo oh. on? <laughs> Unintentional fun. I also dropped into the women's 10-metre air rifle for 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, fun. That was that was fascinating. Mm. It's only 10 metres away, like standing up against a wall and just breathing really slowly and shooting within a millimetre of these targets with this little popping sound. So, um, Wow. Yeah. I don't know. It'll, I won't watch women's 10-metre air rifle again for another four years, but it's just, <laughs> it's just fun while it's on. <laughs> and I think that's part of it, isn't it? I, I've also enjoyed watching the commentary on the two guys who both won the gold medal for high jump. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, we yeah. don't have time to delve into it. But also watching the Italians just jubilation of winning the gold medal, I thought, oh, he's really <laughs> happy. And I feel a little bit uncomfortable by this excessive display of emotion. But also, good uh, on you, bud. <laughs> yes. No, don't get me started with emotion on the Olympics. That <laughs> <laughs> unlocks all sorts of things for me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring our emotion to bear on the word of the Lord instead, Richard. Yes, That's my transition. Yes. Maybe another time. Let's, uh, <laughs> what are you reading in the Bible? Uh, Joe, we'd love oh. to hear about. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, HBC Women, our Women's Day Conference, is coming up very shortly, and mm. I'm doing the talks, um, and I'm being joined by two other women for one of the talks. But uh, we're digging into Luke 19 to 21, and so of course, in Luke 19 to 21, there's the account of Jesus clearing the temple of um, the sellers, people selling mm -hmm. doves, etc. And so I was just thinking, okay, I, I better go across and look at the other Gospels, um, do some cross-referencing reading while I'm still getting ready and still sharpening my talks. And so I dug into John 2. Now, you might be thinking if you're listening along, okay, so this is Jesus about to die. He's in the temple courts. Next step is he's going to be found, um, you know, he's going to be put on the cross essentially. It's very, very quick action. But instead you find the same story in John 2. And so, of course, let's go read it. Um, John yeah. 2, verse 13. Yeah. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove all, the, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get, out, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remained, oh, remembered what is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And then he goes on to talk about the destruction of the temple, which he also does in Luke. Yeah. And the presence of both of those two things together show you that it's the same episode being recounted. But I just keep every time this happens for me and John, and I just thought I'd talk about it with you because I think other people must feel this as well. Mm. It's in Chapter 2, and I'm expecting because I'm reading a gospel that this is an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, like Luke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but instead it's John, which is not structured in the same way, and I had to go back and 
think through again the fact that this story happening in early in John doesn't mean it's the same thing happening twice. But anyway, I just was thinking about that a lot this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you end up reading any commentaries on on the positioning of the? Um, no, I went and found some um, of my more college lecture notes because I thought, oh, I just need to think about it. Um, the mm. main comment that was made was that Jesus is being characterized or shown to be um, a pious Jew who he's observing the Passover. He's observing mm. the Feast of Jerusalem, even though he's going to eventually fulfill it and transcend, like make be better than it, like supersede it essentially. Yeah. And so when he goes into the fa- his father's house, when he goes into the temple, um, he's showing a devotion that will e- eventually end up in him dying on the cross. Um, yeah. And that that you're meant to look at it and think, oh, this is um, – this is being looked at as someone who is the Messiah, who has resurrected, like it's now being written with the view of these events have occurred, Jesus has died, he's, res- he's resurrected, and now we look mm. back on that event and we see, oh, it's um, actually, look, it's all about how Jesus is truly devoted, he's a true Jew, he's a true Messiah, all these kinds of things. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I love thoughts? The way, um, yeah, just... I love the the way that Jesus is fulfilling uh, the Psalms there. The zeal for your house will consume me, mm. Psalm sixty nine. Mm. Uh, he's just um, yeah, so devoted to his father's honor that mm. he's he's willing to make a scene mm. there in the um, in the temple. Yeah, and he quotes in Luke. He quotes Psalm one hundred and eighteen, which is "You've made my house a den of robbers" or something. And mm. you can see how even in his really righteous anger in that moment it's scripture that's coming to his mind um it's the truths you know like what we it's his word like the words of god are in his mouth and he's speaking those words yes. to the people he's living uh, which, and breathing scripture yeah yeah which is just quite a for a moment where he you know he's he's getting a whip he is getting physical in terms of clearing out that mm. temple um, yeah. And you can just imagine, like cows are not quiet, sheep are no. not quiet. It would have been quite. You're coffins. familiar with uh, you're yeah. familiar with these sort of animals, Joe. Yeah. And you, you know they're hard to move around. Yeah, and the coins dropping to the ground. I'm just. It's quite a visceral picture. Um, meanwhile, he's quoting scripture as he does that, and then the disciples are watching on, understanding. Maybe not understanding in the moment, but maybe in the in. Yeah. I don't know when they remembered, when the disciples remembered, whether it's in that moment or later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just a complete overturning of the old system of uh, temple mm. and um, and worship. And Jesus is now, yeah, into the. Uh, he will now be the true temple. Yeah, through whom we approach God. Mm, mm. And then I'd, when it goes on to talk about his authority, you know, he just shows his absolute authority, and that yeah. happens anyway. So fascinating, always challenging for me to. I just find John hard because I'm. I I like a good solid timeline, <laughs> but I always enjoy it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure there's, uh, there's uh, a lot to explore there, but it's fantastic yeah. to hear you researching hard on uh, the temple in preparation for these talks. Yes. Uh, I hope they go really well. Uh, thanks, brother. Yeah, um, trying to manage emotions, you know, speaking of emotions, around it. You know, preaching is always something I get nervous about beforehand mm. in the preparation, but I think God... Um, has been reminding me to think more about his word than myself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so that's amen to that, sister. <laughs> anyway, uh, what have you been uh, reading about or learning about? Oh, yeah, I've been doing some reading. Uh, I've um, 
was listening to a podcast um, by uh, with uh, Kevin DeYoung, who's a, a, mm. a an author, a podcaster, um, a pastor, I believe, in in Michigan. Uh, but he's written a new book called Men and Women in the Church: A Short Biblical Practical Introduction. Ooh! And I was very excited to read that uh, to learn that, um, and so I got hold of it um, as soon as I could on my little Kindle here, and. Um, yeah, what, so what he's done, like obviously men and women in the church, that's a, a hot topic. That's a Very big issue. Very hot topic, I yeah. don't need to convince you of that. Um, but uh, Kevin Young is a good writer. I've read a few of his other books, and he's just, like it says, he's, he's tried to write something short and clear but biblical, so he spends time in the Bible, um, and it's um, uh, looking very practical. I'm about a halfway through or a third of the way through, and um, just a few things a uh, spoiler spoiler alert, Joe. Um, he is um, identifies as a complementarian. So mm. he, he believes, um, yeah, men and women are equal in um, honor and uh, yeah, in creation, redemption, and in worth and everything. Uh, but they have um, distinct and complementary roles mm. in um, yeah, in the biblical testimony in um, in marriage and in in church. Mm. Uh, so. But uh, what he does is really try and address the, the Bible passage as well and work through clearly. So I'll share a couple of highlights, enjoying it well. Um, one quote here is uh, when he's talking about um, looking at the Bible, he says, whenever we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood, we must distinguish among prescriptions, principles, and patterns. Mm. And I thought that was helpful because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible and some of them are just um, are, are clear prescriptions, like mm. kind of this is how it should be. Um, other uh, others are principles, which mm. are not so clear, but you can build something bigger. And some are patterns, where you kind of say, "Well, this is what I notice," and um, mm. you know, just just some common sense caution about what we see there. So, um, yeah, I love that. I think that gives you a, a framework for kind of when you see an interaction between men and women in a moment in a, in a Bible moment, you think, oh, mm. what kind of thing am I observing right now?" Hmm, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other quote, he's a great, um, again, short chapter on um, Jesus and his interactions with women and his uh, value of them. He received support from them. He mm. ministered to them. He taught them. Uh, women witnessed his resurrection. Mm. Um, but he still affirms male leadership in mm. his team of apostles. Um, and uh, a, a great quote here, um, Kevin Young says, there is no one more pro-women than Jesus and no one by his example and in his very person, who did more to affirm true manhood either. Mm. So, um, yeah, summarising, yeah, some, bringing together some really good stuff there. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, enjoying Kevin DeYoung's book on biblical manhood and womanhood. I think mm. it could be one of those things that, uh, yeah, we read a couple of times or, or read alongside people. I, mm. I know many of our listeners would have questions about this area. Um, yeah. Different, different thoughts and ideas, but this is to me third of the way through, looking like something that uh, could be a real, uh, yeah, a real blessing for the church. Yeah, yeah, because it's one of those things, isn't it, where we're trying to demonstrate or model or a show or you know reflect complementarian ministry as we mm. do this together, where you know we I help you lead the maturity team at HBC, um, mm. but there's so much around how you we do our job. Um, and how people serve in ministry together, that that you you wrestle with of what what would honor God here? How do I do this God's way? And mm. it would be really helpful to have 
something little and practical to to add to the discussion because I think there's some great books out there on this topic, but it mm. it is it is really it's visceral, it's big, it's practical. People are wanting to honor God and not not be sinful in their hearts or their actions. So, hmm, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, you'll uh, when you get around to this one on your book list, I think mm. you'll enjoy it. So, um, ha- yeah. question, question. Yeah, has it made you think differently about anything or challenged your thinking? Has it been more kind of oh no, this is ex- this is actually clarifying. This is a clear explanation of what I already believe. Oh, yeah, that's a good question because I have read a lot in this area. Yes. And worked pretty hard. Um, but, uh, no, there are genuinely new insights um, that right. I'm finding even in this short book. Interesting. Um, I won't won't go into them because it'll open cans of worms at uh, this point in the podcast that we don't <laughs> yeah. want to do. That's Maybe for another I'll time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, of course, there are lots of things I don't know. So uh, that's not unusual at all, but... Um, yeah, to have in such a short book uh, several insights um, mm. that's really got me thinking that I've highlighted. Yeah, so uh, e- cool. even for the old hands, the old pastors, um, yeah, recommend it. Yeah, cool. And Richard, but, we are um, out of time. Yes, but out of time. You have been listening to a podcast on burnout. Yeah, yeah. No, I just uh, thought uh, as we finish up here, recommending a uh, great little podcast I've been listening to from the uh, One Thing from our Reach Australia network. Um, Derek Hannah's having some great chats with um, uh, a man called uh, Jonathan Andrews. Hang mm. on, did I get that right? I um, think so. Yes, Jonathan Andrews, who's a psychologist, and they're just talking about burnout um, over three episodes. And I'm always keen to hear any insights on burnout. Mm. Uh, and so it was a great one in the first episode about the connections with God, our connection with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Mm. The importance of having those in good order to mm. uh, yeah manage or avoid burnout. So recommend that to our listeners. Uh, mm. But yeah, it has been great chatting with you in this uh, complementarian conversation, <laughs> Joe. Thank you, brother. Um, <laughs> and uh, a, a very complimentary Olympic swim to start us off. So uh, <laughs> yes, and we will talk next week. Look forward to it. Thanks, Sounds Joe. good. See ya. Bye.